Buying at the coastline in Texas is very different than buying inland. Our average turnover on resales here is about every three to five years. So it's always a bustling real estate market here. There's a lot of things that have to happen at the coastline that don't have to happen in Austin when you rent a property or when you buy a property for rental. You want to cover your butt. (laughs) You do. You do. So welcome to the Urban Connect podcast. I'm Jennifer Archambault, the broker and owner of Urban Provision Realtors, and I'm thrilled to have you tuning in today. If you're here, chances are your prospective buyer, seller, or homeowner searching for clarity on the ever-changing real estate landscape here in Texas, and you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll discuss a myriad of topics providing you with the knowledge and the tools to navigate the complex realm of real estate, from insider tips on how to prepare your home for a successful sell, to insights on the latest market trends and everything in between. I've got you covered. So sit back, relax, get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level with the Urban Connect podcast. So welcome back. The desire to own real estate is frequently intertwined with the American dream. Yet it's astonishing that only a fraction of Texans venture beyond owning their primary residence, rather exploring investment opportunities in the world of real estate. In our four-part real estate investment series, we will dive into the complexities of buying and selling real estate, whether for long-term investment, short-term rental, retirement, or second home. The conversations within each episode will shed valuable insights and lend professional guidance, empowering those considering a real estate purchase beyond their primary residence to mitigate significant financial losses and avoid chaos throughout their real estate journey. So that brings me to the third episode of our four-part series. In this exciting episode, we will dive into the fantastic opportunities of real estate investing along the Texas Gulf Coast. Whether you're considering a short-term or long-term rental, a second home, or even a dreamy paradise for your golden years, you're in luck. We'll be discussing everything from essential requirements when buying and owning coastal properties to additional maintenance considerations that you need to keep in mind. Not to mention, we'll explore why some properties might not align with your investment goals or be suited for investment property. By the end of the episode, you'll be all set to embrace the coastal journey of island living and embark on the real estate investment journey along the Gulf Coast. So with all this said, allow me to introduce today's guest. In 2015, Melissa Aladinik and her husband made a life-changing decision to relocate from London, Canada to Puerto Aransas, Texas. Three years later, Melissa ventured into a new career as a realtor, drawing upon her years of experience in sales, marketing, and social media. Her extensive background paved the way for her to quickly become a highly accomplished and successful realtor, serving the Puerto Aransas and North Padre Island markets. In 2012, Melissa joined EXP Realty, and wasted no time in showcasing her commitment to excellence. Her hard work and dedication led her to achieve the prestigious status of an icon agent within her first year of, at the brokerage. Her accomplishments didn't go unnoticed as she was recognized as a rising star by the Real Producers magazine and was honored with such titles as Female Pro- Real Producer of the Year and Influencer of the Year. With an impressive track record, Melissa has firmly established herself as one of the top performing realtors in the Corpus Christi MLS area. In fact, in 2022, she secured an outstanding position as number 42 realtor out of roughly 2,500 members, demonstrating that her capacity not only to thrive, but to shine in a competitive market. Her continued success, steadfast commitment, and keen sense of awareness surrounding embracing living an island life has continued to set her apart and stand her out from the, from the industry. So, Melissa, it's my pleasure to host you as a guest today on Urban Connect. Hi, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Jennifer. So I'm excited to have you. I mean, you it's like you, in 2015, you moved from one extreme to another extreme. <laughs> totally different, totally polar opposites. <laughs> it is, it is. And I'm very familiar with the Michigan, the Northern Michigan, kind of the destination that happens in the summertime. So, um, I mean, I think that when you came here, you kind of understood it in a way, but in a different way. Definitely. Yeah. I, I had to retrain my brain on what seasons were like here. <laughs> That's true. So today, we're like we said, we're going to be talking about um, all things coastal, investment, purchase, owning. And, 
you know now and from living here and helping people buy here that buying at the coastline in Texas is very different than buying inland. Absolutely. It's a very dynamic environment. Um, Our average turnover on resales here on the investment and vacation home side is about every three to five years. So it's Mm -hmm. it's always a bustling uh, real estate market here. It is. It is. And it's there's a lot of people that come in and I'm sure that, you know, they have this dream. I call it the pipe dream. They, they want to invest at the coastline, right? They, they, they've gone to the beach several times. They've gone fishing several times and they go, I've rented for years and years and years. I want to own a slice of this. And then they get knee deep and they really, they don't understand the complexities until they get into the process. And then some people almost get talked out of it or they can't move forward. So I think this is why I want to bring this to the equation because there's a lot of things that, like I said, that have to happen at the coastline that doesn't, they don't have to happen in Austin when you rent a property or when you buy a property for rental. Absolutely. Yes. And I can definitely speak to it from a personal and professional side. My husband and I own three investment properties here as well. Um, one that we long-term rent and two that we short-term rent. So and kind of speak to both sides of even though I was yeah. selling the properties, it was a whole different ball of wax when we started owning our own. So <laughs> so let's talk about the types of insurance required because I think that stumps a lot of uh, consumers that come in from either another state or from, say, Austin or Dallas. And, you know, insurance is different based on location. So talk about insurance. Absolutely. So in Port Aransas and North Padre Island specifically, we are... We have to include that fancy addendum that a lot of, well, none of you Austin agents would use saying that mm-hmm. we're located seaward of the intracoastal waterway. So what that entails essentially is the fact that we're on a barrier island in the Gulf of Mexico. So with that, we're at, we're at sea level. So flood insurance is pretty much required on every single property that you own in this region. How that can differentiate where it comes down to your choice is, you know, if you have a property on stilts, for example, and you don't have any um, completed living quarters underneath there, you certainly wouldn't need to have flood insurance there. But as soon as you were to add, you know, a lot of people will add a little efficiency unit down there and, and close it in. You would then, even though your main house is on a stilts, you would be required to have mm-hmm. the insurance there. So, and then on top of that, you know, our flood zones recently changed in October, uh, October of uh, 2022. I had a client that purchased his home in t- 2022 as of October. Right? It was in the flood zone. That flood zone uh, changed a little bit. And he's literally the only house on the street that doesn't now require flood insurance. Does he pay for it additionally? Absolutely. Is he required to by his lender? No. But again, from that, that aspect It's a piece of mind insurance. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and then of course, um, we have to have wind insurance just like (laughs) the rest of the state. Um, So I think the biggest difference with us is just the flood insurance and what that all entails. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. So in Austin, and we're going to compare it, I'm going to compare it for our listeners. Like if I'm buying in Austin, Houston, Dallas, inward, right? Like I'm not buying at the sea or I'm not buying at the Gulf, right? So if I'm in a floodplain, I have to have flood insurance, just like you do, right? Because you're in a floodplain, right? But if I have on my survey an elevation certificate that shows that even though I'm in a floodplain, I'm high, my, my, my elevation is higher than a certain limit, then I can forego the insurance, right? So I'm assuming it's the same there because that's insurance, right? But I would assume... And this is just assumption because I've been to the coast enough in my lifetime. Just because you're high enough and you're on stilts doesn't mean that you're not going to flood and go away because, I mean, your house could get swept away. Absolutely. And that flood insurance is going to protect you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we saw, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we saw a lot of that when Harvey came through uh, in in 2017. So, and I mean, getting across the bridge um, into Flower Bluff, into Corpus Christi, I mean, those areas really, they're, a lot of them aren't located in uh, the flood zone attics. So it's really up to you to decide whether or not you want to have that flood insurance on there. But I mean, we're really talking about a difference of several feet in elevation. So to your point, I think it's good to 
you want to cover your butt. <laughs> you do, you do. And I know from speaking to my insurance, my 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 go-to insurance person back in about 2018, you may be aware of this, flood insurance drastically changed, right? The the coverages changed. So before you could get flood insurance, peace of mind insurance for a few hundred bucks. Now that 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 peace of mind may be a thousand, right, or so, or or more, or more. <laughs> flood coverage is a lot more, right? So that's you know when we talked about early on, a lot of people don't really understand some properties may they may not be attainable for the investment need because of these higher premium coverages that have to happen. And it's not just taking on a loan; it's the peace of mind that you'll have a house there to rent or own later. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, something else that you want to consider, particularly here on North Padre Island, where we have, you know, a lot of homes that were built in the 80s. And that average elevation, I think back then, um, according to building codes, was about eight and a half feet. And I mean, now new construction, I believe they're at 11. So that can also affect your your flood insurance premiums here at right. a new construction home versus something that was built in the 80s. So are you finding, this is a tip that I learned from my insurance agent. She said, uh, if you're buying a property and the previous owner had a policy that was written pre-2018, you want to gain as much information as possible about their policy, who they have it with, and just a policy number. You don't have to have any more information because then she takes that information, puts it into her system, and you won't get the exact same rate, but you'll get a smaller rate. Correct. Yeah. My understanding is it can be grandfathered over to the new owners. And we've had that happen in several, several cases. And it's a great question to ask. And that, again, just goes back to the fact of dealing with a local agent that has the market knowledge of that as well. That's true. That's true. So for property insurance, it sounds like if you're buying a property, you might, and you, you're, you're trying to figure out your property insurance, maybe make sure that the survey has a elevation on it, a certificate attached and, you know, working with someone that's super smart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, a lot of people don't retain those elevation certificates when they buy a house, but it's easy enough for your agent just to reach out to their insurance company. They have it in order to finish. They, so let's talk about property types because, you know, people who are going to do vacation short term are generally staying in the house or a, a, a multi-story unit condo, right? And let's talk for investment purposes. Let's kind of go through the gamut, right? Where you have short term rental first. Where are you seeing challenges with short term rental at the coastline? I mean, are you having challenges because it is that destination or are you seeing scenarios where there are um, challenges? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. This is something I bring up to a lot of my buyers. I think the two biggest challenges that we're having here on the coast, not so much pertaining to obviously our taxes all went up, insurance goes up every year. Um, but the biggest thing that we're seeing when you're trying to get your your numbers to balance or to be in the black, if you will, on owning an investment property annually, um, there's two things. Number one, our interest rates have obviously gone up. So we're not looking at two and 3% anymore. We're into the sevens, especially if you're going to do a, a commercial loan. We purchase our properties in our LLC, so we get commercial loans. So, you know, mm -hmm. your interest rates are much higher. Your notes aren't amortized as, as long. I mean, I believe some lenders will do up to 30 years, but typically 15 to 20 years. So when you start to take that mortgage payment being higher, and then on top of that, the, the thing that we've been most challenged with here since uh, COVID is the fact that the nightly rates on your short-term rentals have not increased. So when people were coming down here to buy short-term rentals, they always had this, I need at least 10% gross um, rental annual revenue um, to offset the cost. So for example, you're buying a $400,000 property, you want to see $40,000 annually in gross rental income. Well, our property values went up so much, that $400,000 house now is now $550,000 but our nightly rates haven't gone up. So when you couple that with the interest rates being higher, so you've got a higher mortgage payment, and then on top of that, your nightly rates haven't seen much of an increase because you know COVID is now in the past. People aren't 
coming to the coast as much. I mean, they are, but comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. and those nightly rates just every property management company, if one raises it, the other one has to do it too. So they've just not had that cohesive unity to all increase it. Um, so those are the two biggest things that we're facing when it comes down to buying a short-term rental here. Then you have the surge. You have the the high season, low season surge, right? Where you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck in that, that pretty much May to, to September, but then you you may not be rented entirely at all or a lower rate unless you have a long-term investor at that time. Correct. Yeah, no, definitely. You have to take that into consideration. When I'm showing people properties here as well, and you want to try and cater to that winter tax in, you want to make sure that the property has an elevator or it's all main level because you do have the better ability to draw in those winter Texans that maybe don't want to do the stairs. Right, right. So let's talk about um, long-term rental versus short-term. No, let, me, let me go back to short-term rental. And I'm speaking from not coastline properties, inland properties, where you'll have a, a condo community or a new home community where the association is saying no short-term rentals. Do you have a lot of that at the coastline and... Or is there is some properties that are restricted and they're just long-term or second homeowners? We do have a lot of that. We have strictly long-term. We have what's called midterm. Uh, people don't really use that term often down here. Um, and then, of course, you've got the, the short-term. So um, technically, anything over 30 days is considered long-term. I kind of disagree with that because we do have a few HOA um, associations that will allow minimum of 90 days. So to me, you've got your short term is anything under 30 days, your midterm would be anything under 90 days. And then, of course, long term being uh, 12 months or more. Mm -hmm. So we do Mm -hmm. have a lot of that. And it's, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. I'll I'll be honest with you in Port Aransas in particular, you can have one house next to another house and one may be zoned for short term, and the other one may not be. And that's just based on city zoning. But then on top of that, you've got your different HOAs and what their their bylaws um, recognize. So it you that again goes back to having that representative here that has the market knowledge. I mean, I can essentially now look at the property and be like, okay, that only allows minimum of seven days, or you have to be over ninety days, or there's no short term there at all. So you really want to have that agent is that savvy within that area to know how each development differentiates in that regard. You know, it's, it's fascinating you say that because I've always been a big believer that you have to be so educated in the market you're selling. And, you know, for our, our consumer track, our Texas Real Estate Commission has come out with a geographic competence, right? Even though I have been to Puerto Aransas, even though I have vacation there, even I don't live there, I don't understand the zoning, I don't understand the development. I don't understand what you understand, right? And same for you, like coming into Austin and trying to sell. You could, your license will allow you to do it, but you don't understand, like I understand what's happening down the road in two months or six months or a year. Same with you, and right? So there's that geographic competence and I see a lot of agents across the board trying to go down and try to sell, right? Yes, absolutely. And then they get their clients in a pickle. <laughs> I'm personally fine with that just because I don't mind hearing that the load, like a lot of our agents down here have a hard time with outside agents coming mm-hmm. in and representing clients. I'll work with them. A, a lot of cases, the agent will offer less commission to you know outside agents or whatever. At the end of the day, like your fiduciary, fiduciary duties are in the best interest of your clients. So I make sure that they're they're handled on that. But also to that point, you know, I had a lot of respect for a client of mine who is a broker in Austin. And she came to me and said, I, I need you to represent me down here because I don't know the area. I mean, I highly, highly respect an individual like that. That's a broker, had her license for over a decade and still wants to seek out the knowledge mm-hmm. of a local professional. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's crucial. Okay, so let's pivot into second home versus retirement because when your clients are coming in and they're not looking for that short-term rental, long-term rental, they're looking for a place that's theirs, that their family can go to, or that one day they will retire, whether they lease it out or not now is 
irrelevant, right? So talk to me about your short-term, long-term clients and things that you tell them or they do differently when they're looking for those types. Let's say it's going to be, I come from um, Canada or Michigan or Chicago and I stay there during the summer and then I come, or North Dakota and I kind of stay there for the summer and then I come back down here for the winter, like our winter Texans, right? Gotcha. Or it's, you know, I have a surplus of money. I want to retire there and I want to buy now, right? And, you know, does it stay vacant? You know, does it, like, what do you, how do you guide those clients a little bit differently than you're guiding your short or long-term just investors who are just purely into it for the investment? Gotcha. Probably the biggest difference is the emotional element of it. So when you're guiding someone from a short-term rental perspective, you really want to focus on the, the money side of it. So location, you know, amenities, and then your bare bones numbers of what that looks like annually mm-hmm. on your return. And a lot of buyers will get a little bit confused sometimes when that is their goal. And they'll walk in and they'll say, you know, I don't really like how this kitchen is laid out. The decor in here is awful. And I really have to step them aside and ask them to take the emotional part out of it because it's not a place that you're going to live. So look at the, look at all the things that are going to generate the most income. You can change the decor, but like obviously make it conducive to something desirable to a rental guest. So when you're, and, and it would be the opposite side of the coin for someone that wants to use it as a vacation home. You really want to make sure at that point in time, in the months that you're spending there or weeks or whatever that looks like, that it is desirable to you. That is your, you're going to offset it by renting it out perhaps in our peak season, but be down here in the winter months or whatever that looks like. But you can really have that um, emotional connection and what what kind of flow is going to work for you. Do you want a pool? Do you want a water view? Do you want you know, what those um, emotional connections and how it meets the needs of your grandchildren and your kids wanting to come down and use it, how many bedrooms you need. It really is a lot more similar to buying a primary residence at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So just detaching the emotion when it comes to the investment side of it and just looking at dollars. It makes sense. I've never really thought about that way, right? Because it is different, right? When you're coming down there and you're thinking, oh, I wouldn't, I, we have that here where I'm like, Investor, you don't care what it looks like. You just care what it makes money, right? It's the end of the day, the, what's on the paper. Exactly. Yeah, we, my husband and I get tied up in that when we're searching for properties. He even has to remind me of that. Like, it's okay. We can speak to the decor. Relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like paint, carpet, everything. Everything Walden can change. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of times in some of those properties, I'm assuming... Not necessarily the houses, but like the the condo type properties, the structures, the structure. There's no blowing out walls. Yeah, you own the wall. Because, mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about money for short-term rentals because you talked a little bit about now with interest rates so high, you have to earn so much more that right now it's hard to buy a short-term rental. You know, it is. I think the thing that I continue. Well, my husband and I think of the same thing. I mean, our first investment property we financed at four and a half percent. The one that we just closed on it in March was at 7.75%. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the reality of it, but you really have to think long-term gains. So the fact that you are able to rent it out, you, you, you're, if you are financing it by the time you have your HOA dues, your insurance, all of that stuff, full disclosure, it is very difficult to, to, be in the black on your investments. If you pay cash for it, completely different story. The perspective that you have to look at is, I mean, in my opinion, real estate is never a bad investment. Stuff is going to change. It's going to shift. We really do live in a bubble in this market. So even with everything going on, probably in Austin that you've seen, we are really, really fortunate here because it's investments and it's vacation home. It's a want, not necessarily a need. So it's just a different demographic of buyers. So with that said, from the investment standpoint and the amount of economic development that we continually have going on here um, in Port Aransas, we've seen it happen. Well, post Harvey, you've had so much. So much growth. Yes. And then yes. North Padre Island, we're seeing the same thing. We've got a new marina coming in. We have a massive new luxury development called the White Cap Preserve, um, which is where the old Schlitterbahn is. That's uh, coming into place. So from our standpoint and how I educate my buyers is that like 
you're planting your seed for your money tree. It's a sit and wait. Like you really want to be able to sit and wait at least three to five years on it. And and within that time, I mean, interest rates are going to fluctuate. They're going to go up. They're going to go down. But you really have to look at it as a perspective of, can I float this financially right now and just have it for tax purposes, for equity, and as a long-term investment gain? Um, so that that's kind of how I pitch it. And, and it's what I honestly believe. It's what we believe. I mean, we've got three investment properties and my goal is to have 10 um, here. So um, because I think it's a wise investment. I, as I said, I don't think real estate's ever a bad investment. And that's not the No, <laughs> I agree with you. I don't think it's a bad investment. I think it's only a bad investment if you make the bad choice from the front end. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's talk about down payments because, you know, we have cash buyers and then we have someone, I want to invest. What is someone who's looking to invest at the coastline having to put in to, because of the higher insurance, because of, you know, maybe rents aren't or short-term rents aren't as high as they need to be for the price. Like, what are you seeing that someone's having to put down with today's environment to kind of make that black number? Sure. So you've got a couple things to consider. If it is a residential home that, you know, not zoned for short-term rental, you can look at FHA, BA, conventional, that sort of thing. So that's pretty standard to, to what you see in your market. Where we mm-hmm. really differentiate on the short-term rental side is probably about a good 30% of our condos are non-warrantable condos. So that is a whole different type of financing. Um, you need to go through typically a bank. Some lenders will offer non-warrantable financing, but your down payment on that is typically a lot higher. You're looking at a minimum of 20%. I don't, I don't, and again, I'm not a lender, but I've not seen too many that are going to do less than 20, typically 20 to 25% down. Your interest rates now are, um, I think you're in at least the sixes. If you go the commercial route, like I said, my husband and I do, you're going to be into the sevens. And then that amateurization again is much shorter. Right. You know, on your residential properties, it's, it's, pretty, pretty much the same as what you're dealing with where you are. Yeah. And for our listeners, um, uh, condos are considered warrantable and non-warrantable. And the difference is, is how the HOA is managed, uh, the may shakeup of uh, owner occupants versus investment, um, people who, who rent it out for investment purposes, how they take care of their money, how they have insurance they have, how many uh, owners are past due and HOA dues, like how many lawsuits they have. Yeah. Lawsuits they've had. So yeah. 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 So it's like a, it's a lot, it's a laundry list of items that make it up. If a lender is going to say you're warrantable and you can get what's called a conforming loan where you can go the traditional route, or if it's non-warrantable that pushes you out to a bank, like, you know, Melissa has said, that will take on that non-traditional, what they call paper or mortgage, right? The, and, but conforming has to fit in the box, I say, or um, and, and warrantable has to fit in that conforming box. And non-warrantable can kind of have tentacles and do whatever it wants, and, but the, the down payment's going to be more and the interest rate may be a little bit higher. Yes, yeah, exactly. And a lot of those non-warrantable properties, as I was saying, like if you have, um, a front desk to check you in. If you're, if you have to use their property management company to manage your property, you do not have the option to step outside and use Airbnb, VRBO, or self-manage. Um, another thing to take into consider on the money side of that is typically those property management companies can charge their owners between 40 and 50%. So that's another thing that you want to take into consideration. You know, your average property management company down here is around 20 to 25%. We self-manage ours. So we're just paying like the Airbnb fee. But then when you're balancing your numbers again, and you have to use this property management company and 50% of your rental income is going to be going back to that property management company. That again, it's a lot. Your your net (laughs) down. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's why I started this whole conversation with I've there's a lot of people that go to the Texas coast and say, I want to do X. And they, it's like, eventually they get a deer in headlights look and they come back to Austin or Dallas or Houston. And they're like, Whoa, I'm going to invest somewhere else. And because it, it takes a specific type of buyer, right? Cause 
I did have a client who wanted to invest in, he didn't want a single family. He wanted a condo. He wanted to be managed, right? But he thought, oh, I could put, you know, 30 or 40% down. But like you said, by the time insurance came into play, mortgage came into play, and the 50% share of the mandatory, he needed to, he needed to put in over 70% down to break even. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as desirable when you get to that. No, no. And that's when you pivot your client to another type of property. Absolutely. Yeah. Where they can achieve what they want and not have to go down that route. That's what, that's why I said early on, it's, there are going to be properties that are not going to be worth your investment, mm-hmm. Yeah, but there will be one that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have, we do have one um, particular, and it's funny, we, I get a lot of phone calls. I've got a listing there. Um, at Port Royal. I'm sure everyone who's driven along 361 over the last 20 years is familiar with Port Royal. They've got five pools, water slides. You know, it's built right close to the the um, the, the beach, which you can't build that close anymore. And um, it's phenomenal. But I mean, you are paying $2,800 a month in HOA fees. It is our highest. And that's on a three-bedroom, two-bathroom uh, golf front. And then on top of that, 50% of your Rental income goes to their property management. On top of that. Yes. So it's really difficult. And people people will say, who buys there? And I always say it's typically someone that has a love or a nostalgia to that property because they went there with their grandparents or they took their children there. It's it's a very special place. And it is a great mm-hmm. place. It's just your value lies in the emotional side of it, not so much the That's true. Investment. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the HOA. We mentioned HOA. So Homeowners Association for our listener. Um, what are they covering uh, maintenance wise? Sure. For for your for let's start with like condo or like the developments first. Sure. Yeah. So most of our condos, people do get a little bit astonished by the HOA fees. Port Royal is a special one. It is one of the highest ones. Um, but I mean, on average, uh, you know, for my one bedroom, one bathroom, 495 square feet condo, we pay $459 a month for that. So that, that'll that kind of give you a ballpark. Ours includes everything, our exterior insurance. So we do not have to carry um, additional wind and flood insurance on that. You can if you want to, but it is covered by our, our HOA dues. Um, so the only thing additionally that we carry is called a walls in policy. So everything from the drywall in our contents and on that size of a unit, it runs us, I think about not, not quite $500 a year. Mm-hmm. Typically it'll cover your water, your trash, your cable, your internet, your exterior ground, upkeep and maintenance. Again, every development is a little bit different and your HOA fees are going to vary. So a lot of people get intimidated by that monthly number, but personally, I feel like it's easier to budget. I know that $459 is, you know, water, trash, internet, cable, da 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 So it, it really, the only variance will be my property taxes and my um, electricity bill, which, so it really does allow you to have your, your P&L sheets pretty accurate. In residential, um, again, it depends on the area. Um, North Padre, we do have the Padre Island Property Owners Association here. Um, and if you have a Interior lot, like what I own, it's two cents per square foot of your lot that designates your HOA dues. Mine are roughly one seventy-five a year. Um, and then if you are on a canal front lot, it's ten cents per square foot of your lot. Um, so much higher, but again, you've got that canal view. Right. Our HOA dues primarily go to our our um, boat ramps and then bulkhead maintenance. So. Um, that's again, why your canal front properties are a little bit higher because you actually do have mm-hmm. the bulkhead to maintain. We did recently have an area on the Island that seceded from our HOA. They felt they didn't have any canals or bulkheads within their, um, subdivision. So they, it was kind of pointless for them to be paying. So they actually did secede. So we do have one little area here on North Padre that you don't have to pay HOA. Due. Participate. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I find that when you have those like, condo properties that have that exterior maintenance. I call that walls in policy, almost like a rental policy. It's, it's, it's like you're renting the inside contents or right. It's like a renter's insurance policy and people come out ahead depending on the price point. Then 
then some of these properties that you have to get a full on policy to cover everything. Exactly. Yes. And this is going to go back to dealing with an agent that has market knowledge because we do have some high rise developments that you have to carry your own separate insurance on it. And their HOA fees are, you know, in the six, $700 a month range. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, your insurance is another $4,000 a year. So really having that listing agent and your buyer's agent know the area and each development very <laughs> intensely is going to be key. I say you need to have a knowledgeable agent, doesn't matter if you're buying or selling. But on the buy, I think it's even more crucial on the buy because you never know the knowledge base on that listing side agent, right? Are they a family member and they live in in their city and they're like, I'm doing a favor for a family member? They may have not, they don't have the vested interest to make sure that everything is buttoned up. I mean, they should based on their license, but someone there that's doing it day in and day out, like you said, is going to know this property, this, this property that, you know, from the very beginning, buying and selling, but buying especially. Absolutely. So you talked a little bit about y'all self-manage. So let's talk about management because we've talked about the, some of the the Port Royal, like some of the places they they have their own, some you can self-manage and then there's third-party property management companies you can hire on the island. So Talk a little bit about the three and maybe financially what they look like. Sure, absolutely. So we just recently took on doing the self-managing um, of ours last October. So we're coming up. I actually have to go clean my both my condos today. <laughs> so I'll, <laughs> I'll be elbow deep in the toilets here in an hour. So self-managing, um, I my husband and I kind of split up um, the duties on that because although you do make more money, like we are that to gross about $10,000 more this year than we did last year by self-managing. So we do that because we had all the marketing, the bookings, you know, we strategically price things um, beyond the algorithms to um, be able to fill up our, our units. We will do things called um, uh, orphan night promotion. So for example, when you have, let's say a Thursday to Sunday booking, no one checks in on the Monday, but you have a Tuesday through Thursday booking again, you've got that orphan night right in the middle. So offering a promotion to your guests, hey, do you want to stay an extra day for 50% less or do you want to come in an extra day? Just to fill that up and not have it sitting there. Mm -hmm. I think that has allowed us to have more um, gross rental income. Um, But we do all the cleaning. We do all the laundry. We do all the, you know, cleaning supply. Like, I mean, if you stared at this closet next to me, it's just full of my my stock. And that takes over a lot of my house. So we are very hands-on and we have the opportunity to to do that. For a mm-hmm. lot of my clients that don't live in the region, I highly advocate that they use a rental management company. And as I said, that's typically between 20 and 25%. They'll do all your marketing for you. They handle all the cleaning services. They'll do any handyman maintenance. So, um, you know, if you've got missing light bulbs or burnt out light bulbs or um, your toilet roll um, paper, you know what I mean? The, the full toilet paper holder comes out of the wall. You know, they'll make sure those little things are tended to um, for you. Um, they handle all the check-ins, check-outs, reviews, all that stuff. And, and that's essentially what you get for your 20 or 25%. It's very hands-off, but you're very reliant on them. Again, running the promotions and promoting and marketing your unit. And if you're in a complex where there's 20 five other units like I am, you're really not going to get that differentiation amongst them. You're relying on them just trying to fill all the units. And then, you know, when you get into the the 40 and 50% splits in the condo developments, they're essentially doing the same thing, um, except you get more of a hands-on check-in process, kind of like when you're checking into a hotel, you walk in, you've got the front desk, you can ask for fresh towels, you can it's very much more like a hotel experience at that point in time. Mm-hmm. That's what you're yeah, asking. like a turnkey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also see because you know we've rented places like that at, um, at South Padre and in Galveston, right? Where you walk into that turnkey and there's a garage to park in, and there's a there's someone at the front desk that's not really telling you what the rules are, but you know the rules. Yeah, there because they're they're micromanaging in such a way. Yeah. Yeah. They'll facilitate your golf cart rentals for you if you want to. 
And, and in, in most of the property management companies in Puerto Francis and Padre will do that as well. We've got some really great beach concierge services now where you can have beach chairs and umbrellas set up for you. So a lot of these property, property management companies have partnerships with them to just add on to mm-hmm. your, your stay and your experience. So, so you mentioned um, you're going to make about 10000 more. So what would you consider decent income for investment? I mean, when is someone not making enough and it doesn't make sense anymore to hold it? So like I said, the rule of thumb previously was 10%. And that was when I got into um, selling real estate down here. But again, our interest rates were <laughs> much lower. Lower. I think that number would probably, you want to, oh gosh, that's a tough question. I I want to say- that, It's hard, right? Yeah. Because it's going to ebb and flow, right? Well, it's going to ebb and flow, but then also you want to look at the area that you're in. So right now, I think personally that- for me, North Padre Island is a better place to invest in a short-term rental because of it. I see a lot more economic development coming here. So the sit and wait game, although your rental income is a little bit lower here than Port Aransas, your sales price is also a little bit lower than Port Aransas, like by 20 to 25%. So, and then I think the um, opportunity to have that equity grow because of all this economic development is more desirable for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think you have to take into consideration not so much your bottom line, but also what is coming into the market, what's going to drive a better tax deduction for you, what's going to drive your equity up. And then also how much maintenance you're going to have to do on that property. If it's an older building, you might need to look at the HOA putting on a new roof and you may be taxed with a special assessment versus we buy newer uh, properties. So we know the roof is good. Our appliances are good. Water heater, HVAC, all that stuff. So I don't think you can necessarily just have that bottom line percentage. You really need to look at all the factors. That's true. Because like you've said that um, older properties, you need to have a bigger piggy bank, call it, because you're going to have those things that um, uh, I call it, say, die a slow death and, and you need to replace because you won't be able to rent it out unless you do. And then you have a newer property that's been buttoned up and you could probably sustain a shorter, like a gradual increase. And I want to piggyback on what you said. I've said this for years. Commercial growth breeds residential appreciation. So, you know, you think about it, a grocery store going in or amenities or shopping or dining going in and you look around the area two years later and residential real estate has peaked in that area. Exactly. So. Same here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thing that I um, I want to kind of tack on that we haven't really talked about that a lot of buyers bring up. So a lot of these developments at closing require so much money be put into the capital reserve fund. And so a lot of buyers are kind of like, oh my God, I have to bring an extra $3,000 or an extra whatever that looks like to closing. But what they need to understand is a healthy capital reserve fund in an HOA is going to equate to potentially not ever having a special assessment fee slapped mm-hmm. on you. Um, you know, we saw a lot of that happen after Hurricane Harvey because it was so catastrophic that there just wasn't enough money in the capital reserve fund. Fort Royal, unfortunately, is a great example of that. Oh my gosh, yes. Ripped to shreds at the top, sadly. Yeah, I and mean, then gosh, they're still dealing with stuff out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's really something you want to consider when buying a short-term rental as well is how healthy are the capital reserve funds of that HOA so that you don't really, not that you're never going to have to deal with a special assessment, but that can tack on an additional couple hundred dollars a month for a period of time to put in a new roof or uh, resurface a pool or that sort of thing. So another thing that you really want your agent to look into is when was the last time they had a special assessment? Are there any current special assessments? And you know, what does that capital reserve fund look like? Well, I can say from my perspective, not even at the coast, a little, little a client of mine bought a little, small, little, almost efficiency condo. It was one bedroom, one bath, but it was the, the square footage of efficiency. Whenever she bought it, they were putting money, the seller was putting money into a special assessment and she got hit with two special assessments during the span of her three years own ownership. And she sold because she's like, I can't get hit with another one, Right. So that just shows the mismanagement of money or not raising the dues or not collecting the dues, right? So I would imagine most of your buyers, if they're working with you, 
you know, within your option period, you're asking for, even though if they're doing a loan, the lender needs all of that information, but you're analyzing it with them and saying, oh, this could be problematic later. Yeah, I typically ask for that resale certificate while we're under option because I, yeah. I don't want any surprises. I want them to know what's going on. And most of our um, condo management companies and HOAs, they, they can deliver it in that amount of time. So mm-hmm. something else to consider when you're working with your agent down here is to really ask for that resale certificate within your option period of time. So beyond your expenses we talked about, beyond, you know, getting the property ready, making it nice inside, maintaining something that broke, insurance, what are additional overhead expenses, either when you're vacation home or retirement or short-term rental that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think think marketing, uh, you can just kind of cater this to your short-term rental investment property, I think. Having doing marketing, I mean, even if you're working with um, with a property management company, really having your own Instagram page or doing sponsored ads, or you know, um, we always leave like little pre branded um, snacks for our guests in there. That that costs extra money, but you know, it has our our logo on there. Thanks for staying with us at Absolute Beach or Beach Break or whatever when you're staying at. So I think those are little things that now that's a, above and beyond, but I think those are things that um, owners should take into consideration and do that little bit extra work. I created an Instagrammable wall in my one unit with the hopes of, you know, with a QR code so people can take a picture in front of it and then tag us on Instagram. So maybe that's a little bit above and beyond, but if you're really trying to make a decent revenue in your investment property, I think it's worth considering mm-hmm. marketing dollars. Maybe you want to hire an intern college student to do your social media posts for you or whatever. Again, that that's above and beyond. And that's the the marketer in me. <laughs> it's certainly not. Yeah. And I, would, I only say anytime you hire someone else, you have to make sure they're saying the things that you would want them to say. So if you're going to hire somebody like that, don't just assume that they're going to be saying the right things because you have to understand your person, the people coming to you come from all walks of life. They're all different colors. And you don't want to offend anybody. Absolutely. So yeah, and ha- you may want, if you do that, have them send to you what you they're going to say first, and you say yes, go ahead, you know, and approve that. Yeah, because I've seen some very bad, unfortunate experiences with a younger person. It's not picking on the younger person; they just don't see what they're saying is wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's at the end of the day, it's the owner that suffers from it. So agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, on the vacation home side of things, I mean, nothing really out of the ordinary, I would say to obviously we here on the coast, we leave, we live in one of the highest salinity environments on the planet. So everything's mm-hmm. going to rust. Um, it's going to be damaged by the the sand, by the salt exponentially quicker than any other place. <laughs> so let's talk about that real quick. Um, pool. So like if you buy a property, you don't have a pool. You want to put in a pool because you want to attract people because most people who travel want a pool. Sure. Let's talk about cost of putting in a pool and let's talk about because it's a lot of salt and everything rust. I'm assuming you're not wanting a salt water pool because it's going to rust crazy. You want that chlorine pool. Um, no, I mean, so we have a salt water pool. We do that just because it's, um, I, I don't think the, um, the, the environment really has a big impact on the the water itself, but definitely your equipment associated with your equipment. It. You, yeah. You're going to have that really across the board on your pool heaters, HVAC, all of that. So, right, right. So it doesn't matter for your equipment down there for, because here, most salt water, a couple of years, you're replacing equipment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to see that across the board on anything. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We have really small lots left here on North Padre mm-hmm. in particular and Port Aransas. So you're going to get a garden size pool typically because I mean, on North Padre with your interior lots, you have to be um, seven and a half feet off the back of your um, property line and then five off the side. So it's your, you, you have limited amount of space. Cost wise, I mean, depending on what type of pool we, we put a pool in at our home uh, that we built last year with a hot tub. I think our pool's like 12 by 24 or 10, by 24, it's not huge. And that includes our hot tub in there. Um, and I think it cost us about $75,000. The one great thing about adding a pool to your property here and at that difference from other markets is it really does add appraisal value and value to your property. So I've even gone as far like in my appraisal packets when we um, 
have appraisers. I've gone as far as to do like an image of Google Maps showing how many homes in the area do have pools. And that is like a very desirable thing that does add value to the property. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though your cost can be anywhere from 70 to $150,000, depending on what all you want to put in and size, it really does add a lot of price per square foot to your property in this area and desirability. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now let's, let's end with, unless you have anything that we didn't talk about, let's end with buying with traditional financing, like conventional financing, FHA, whatever, versus an L- establishing an LLC and going the commercial route. So why does one want to do one rather than the other? I can speak personally on this. We do it just to kind of keep that separation between our personal assets and, and God forbid anyone was to sue us, having it in an LLC just gives you that extra level of protection. On top of that, it is a business. So from a tax standpoint, particularly if you are a real estate professional, so as a realtor, I am property management, uh, property managers, I believe can also qualify as that. You want to check with your CPA on that one, but it does give you a substantial tax deduction every single year. Oh, it does. Yeah, it allows you to write off. You're limited on your write-offs if you're not deemed a investment professional. Yes, exactly. So, right. Um, so purchasing it in an LLC does kind of give you those benefits as well as that extra protection. But the offset of that is your loans are, and your interest rates are going to be a little bit higher. So, mm-hmm. um, on the conventional side of things, I mean, it's just pretty much a standard standard note if you're going to use the property predominantly for a vacation home and, um, you know, secondary residents, you may not want to go that route because you're really not going to be renting it that much. Maybe you're just even allowing friends and family to stay there and and hopefully they wouldn't sue you in the event that something happening, but you you may not need that additional extra layer of protection. So you could Mm -hmm. go the more traditional route of conventional FHA or VA financing. Yeah. And there's still a lot to think about, right? Um, Property management, setting a rates, right? I'm sure you have guides, right? Looking around, but what happens during off-peak times when you have to start giving money back to people because of, you know, a storm rolling through or, uh, but there's just a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that we could have a whole other uh, session on mm-hmm. hurricane preparedness. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh, we should, we should. That's a good one because... You know, our hurricane season starts in June and goes to December and there have been storms as early as June and as late as December. I mean, not recently, but but yeah, yeah, I grew up in uh, north of Houston, so I'm very familiar with hurricane season. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could spin off a whole other podcast one time on how to prepare for yeah. hurricane <laughs> Yeah, we should we should definitely have one. Um, is there anything else that buying at the Texas coast, whether it be Galveston down to Padre, just like just living there, buying there is different from buying inland anywhere? I think we've covered the most of it. Obviously, I, I think we'll recap this one more time, but just having someone that is savvy with the market because knowing whether they're in a mud district, knowing whether they're in a pit, knowing whether they're and that literally can change by subdivision and Porter Rancis versus Dark Padre versus, you know, mainland Corpus Christi. So I think just really having someone represent you that knows this market or the market that you're interested in purchasing in, they need to know it well. There's so much value in that. I agree. I agree. Some of my kind of key takeaways from this is, I don't think we talked about this, is this is something that I've just learned from clients or friends or just general state, general real estate is get insurance estimates early in that buying process because that could derail that hope and dream of buying, regardless of why you're buying. So even if you're just going to buy to live there and you realize that you can't afford the insurance, the insurance, right? And you don't want to lose lots of thousands of dollars of earnest money because you back out later. Because you can still get insurance. It's just maybe high. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think also that this is something I say to, the, um, you know, my, my outside market buyers, I, my preferred partners, lenders included and insurance, uh, I like to refer them to local agents because mm-hmm. again, they know the market, they know 
you know, they can hear what your intentions are and what you may need in terms of premiums and coverage and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's best to deal locally on that as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. So stay away from the online sources. I mean, is yeah, it is. It, it doesn't matter if you're where you're buying, but stay away from them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, no, I've come to but, the closing table with lenders and like we're 10 days out and they're like, no, we can do non-warrantable. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We don't need a condo questionnaire. And I'm like, in the beginning, I, I fell for that. And I mean, I've had deals fall apart, um, you know, at the 11th hour because because of that back in my my beginning year. So unfortunately, I had to learn from those. And, and it happened to me personally. So um so yeah then you really learned <laughs> you really really learned yeah so yeah exactly you really want to have those local lenders and insurance agents helping you but i also think you want to have that local real estate pr- presence right that knowledgeable in in tune not just they live there and have a license and they work somewhere else they that they live and breathe real estate so especially when you're buying in a resort coastal area that has all these different disclosures and and complexities that you have just buying at a normal city. Well, and owning, having an agent that owns their own, not that this is a deal breaker, but someone that owns their own STR, you know, they can really speak personally of things that you've seen happen that you wouldn't expect to happen. So I think that's helpful as well. I do have, I've, I've gotten buyers by owning my own investment properties here and, and being mm-hmm. able to get a little bit more in depth on stuff that can happen, things to expect. And then I always say consider ongoing and, and even future expenses that, that and one of those future expenses would be that special assessment if you're buying an older property. Yeah, exactly. And something we didn't talk about special assessments is I always like to ask, okay, did you, was there one paid? When was the last one paid? And what was it used for? Did you just fill, did you just fill the kitty? And what is, and what does the piggy bank look like now? Because if you've filled the resources, right, and then now you're asking for another one, what happened to all this money? Exactly. Exactly. So so those are questions to ask. Yep. And as a homeowner, you have the right to see the budget. I mean, typically most HOAs, they have their annual meetings and you'll, you know, get the budget breakdown and everything. But I mean, certainly coming in as a buyer, <laughs> you're going to get last year's budget project- projections. So I think those are really valid questions to ask. Sure. Is there anything else you want to add, Melissa? No, I, I think it's a great place to buy real estate here on the coast. It's a beautiful place to live. Although I don't have a big backyard, I've got the beach two blocks away from me. You know, our taxes and our insurance is a lot higher here. But I think that if you can value the location and the sense of community that we have here um, on North Padre and in Puerto Rancis, it really is worth a lot more than your additional taxes and insurance, in my opinion, because we value that so much. And I, I truly, I try to understand that from going to Puerto Rancis since before I could walk, right? Every year with my family, right? So I've been down probably zillions of times. I've lost track. But um, what I enjoy um, about that is it could be hot, but you always have this coastal breeze, right? Like for... Like, for instance, I'm leaving in a couple of days to go to South Padre for a week and it's 110 or 104 here in Austin. And it's hot, right? But it's 84 and it's breezy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you do. Get- and it could be 90, but it's going to be breezy. Exactly. And you're looking at the Gulf of Mexico. So who can come? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. With that palm tree swing in the wind. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Melissa, I definitely like to thank you for everything that you have contributed um, on living on the island and coastal living. I think that everything that you have um, shared is definitely enlightening and informative to all of our listeners. So I thank you again for your contribution. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for including me. This was such a great opportunity and it was such a pleasure to, to take time and talk to you. Yeah, it was fun. So should you have a real estate or investment need um, or just want to move to the coast because she's sold you on the area, if you want to be in the coastal bend area, that would be the Port Aransas, North Padre Island areas, including Cor- Corpus Christi. And or have more questions and want to connect with Melissa further after listening to this episode, her contact information can be found in the show notes of the episode. Reach out. I would love to hear from you. 
So I would like to express my sincere gratitude to all of our listeners, whether you're listening from the comfort of your own home or on the go. I hope today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, I would be grateful to you if you would consider following or subscribing our podcast. Your support helps us reach a wider audience and grow the Urban Connect community. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, feel free to contact me directly at jennifer at urbanconnectpodcast.com. I value and appreciate your feedback, and I'm always open to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Archambault, and I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of Urban Connect.